Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 15 to 16 and in the previous episode we read chapters 13 to 14 and what exactly happened in um, that episode was that we finally we, we got to see a bit more of the drama and the action between all of the crew members on board the ship and we also got to find out more about Nico um you know being captured by in broad ass in broad terms Gaia's army and everybody was kind of debating on whether they should save Nico or not obviously Hazel was for it because you know they're basically brothers and sisters and Nico's practically the only family she's got left so obviously she wants to save him but everyone else is a bit wary about this because one it may be a trap that the giants are just planning for them to fall into and two, it's the fact that they find out during this chapter that Nico has been going back and forth to both Camp Jupiter and Camp Half-Blood and had known of the existence of the two camps, as well as known of the fact that Percy and Jason both lost their memories, but didn't, you know, bother to help. And I think everybody found that a bit suspicious and shady that Nico didn't even bother to inform anybody about what he was doing exactly. And that's why those two reasons are really big factors in determining whether Nico is going to be rescued or not. But it's not a definite answer by the end of chapter 14. So we're just going to have to see if it's further discussed in chapter 15 and 16. But other than that, they have landed in Atlanta and it's going to be um, Percy, Frank and Coach Hedge who are going to explore this landlocked city to find some water. So now we're going to read chapter uh, 15, Percy. Percy climbed out of the deck and said, Wow. They had landed near the summit of a forested hill, a complex of white buildings like a museum or university, nestled in a grove of pines to the left. Below them spread the city of Atlanta, a cluster of brown and silver downtown sky skyscrapers two miles away, rising from what looked like an endless flat sprawl of highways, railroad tracks, houses, and green swathes of forest. Ah, lovely, lovely time, lovely spot. Coach Hedge inhaled the morning air. Good choice, Valdez. Leah shrugged. I just picked some a tall hill. That's a presidential library or something over there. At least that's what Festus says. I don't know about that, Hedge barked. But do you realize what happened on this hill? Frank Zhang, you should know. Frank flinched. I should? A son of Ares stood here, Hedge cried indignantly. I'm Roman. So Mars, actually. Whatever! Famous spot in the American Civil War. I'm Canadian, actually. Whatever! General Sherman, Union leader. He stood on this hill watching the city of Atlanta burn. Cut a path of destruction all the way from here to the sea. Burning, looting, pillaging. Now there was a demigod. Frank inched away from the satyr. Um... Okay. 
Percy didn't care much about history, but he wondered whether landing here was a bad omen. He'd heard that most human civil wars started as fights between Greek and Roman demigods. Now, they were standing on the site of one such battle. The entire city below them uh, had been leveled on orders of a child of Ares. Percy could imagine some of the kids at Camp Half-Blood giving such a command. Clarice LaRue, for instance, wouldn't hesitate, but he couldn't imagine Frank being so harsh. Anyway, Percy said, let's try not to burn down the city this time. The coach looked disappointed. All right, but where to? Percy pointed toward downtown. When in doubt, start in the middle. Catching a ride there was easier than they thought. The three of them headed to the presidential library, which turned out to be the Carter Center, and asked the staff if they could call a taxi or give them directions to the nearest bus stop. Percy could have summoned Blackjack, but he was reluctant to ask the Pegasus for help so soon after their last disaster. Frank didn't want to polymorph into anything, and besides, Percy was kind of hoping to travel like a regular mortal for a change. One of the librarians, whose name was Esther, insisted on driving them personally. She was so nice about it, Percy thought she must be a monster in disguise, but Hedge pulled him aside and assured that Esther smelled like a normal human. With a hint of potpourri, he said, Clothes, rose petals, tasty. They piled into Esther's big black Cadillac and drove toward downtown. Esther was so tiny she could barely see over the steering wheel, but that didn't seem to bother her. She muscled her car through traffic while regaling them with stories about the crazy families of Atlanta, the old plantation owners, the founders of Coca-Cola, the sports stars, and the CNN news people. She sounded so knowledgeable that Percy decided to try his luck. Uh, so, Esther, he said, here's a hard question for you. Salt water in Atlanta, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The old lady chuckled. <laughs> oh, sugar, that's easy, whale sharks. Frank and Percy exchanged looks. Whale sharks? Frank asked nervously. <laughs> you have those in Atlanta? At the aquarium, sugar, Esther said. Very famous. Right downtown. Is that where you wanted to go? An aquarium. Percy considered that. He didn't know what an ancient Greek sea god would be doing at a Georgia aquarium, but he didn't have any better ideas. Yes, Percy said. That's where we're going. Esther dropped them at the main entrance where a line was already forming. She insisted on giving them her cell phone number for emergencies, money for a tax ride back to the Carter Center, and a jar of homemade peach preserves, which for some reason she kept in a box in her trunk. Frank stuck the jar in his backpack and thanked Esther, who had already switched from calling him sugar to son. As she drove away, Frank said, Are all people in Atlanta that nice? Hedge grunted. Ugh, hope not. I can't fight them if they're nice. Let's go beat up some whale sharks. They sound dangerous. It hadn't occurred to Percy that they might have to pay admission or stand in line behind a bunch of families and kids from summer camps. Looking at the elementary schoolers in their colorful t-shirts from various day camps, Percy felt a twinge of sadness. He should be at Camp Hapler right now, settling the, into his cabin for the summer, teaching sword fighting lessons in their arena, planning pranks on the other counselors. These kids had no idea just how crazy a summer camp would be, or could be.
Beside, well, I guess we wait in line. Anybody have money? Frank checked his pockets. Three denarii from Camp Jupiter, five dollars Canadian. Hedge patted his gym shorts and pulled out what he found. Three quarters, two dimes, a rubber band, and score, a piece of celery. He started munching on the celery, eyeing the change in the rubber band like they might be next. Great, Percy said. His own pockets were empty except for his pen slash sword, Riptide. He was pondering whether or not they could sneak in somehow when a woman in a blue and green Georgia Aquarium shirt came up to them, smiling brightly. Ah, VIP visitors! She had perky dimple cheeks, thick frank glasses, braces, and frizzy black hair pulled to the sides in pigtails. So that even though she was probably in her late 20s, she looked like a schoolgirl nerd. Sort of cute, but sort of odd. Along with her Georgia Aquarium polo shirt, she wore dark slacks and black sneakers. And she bounced on the balls of her feet like she simply couldn't contain her energy. Her name tag read Kate. You have your payment, I see, she said. Excellent. What? Percy asked. Kate scooped the three denarii out of Frank's hand. Yep, that's fine. Right this way. She spun and trotted off the main entrance. Percy looked at Coach Hedge and Frank. A trap? Probably, Frank said. She's not mortal, Hedge said, sniffing the air. It's probably some sort of goat-eating, demigod-destroying fiend from Tartarus. No doubt, Percy agreed. Awesome, Hedge grinned. Let's go. Kate got them past the ticket queue and into the aquarium with no problem. Right this way, Kate grinned at Percy. It's a wonderful exhibit. You won't be disappointed. So rare we get VIPs. Uh, you mean demigods? Frank asked. Kate winked at him impishly and put a finger to her mouth. So over here is the cold water experience with your penguins and beluga whales and whatnot. And over there, well, those are some fish, obviously. For an aquarium worker, she didn't seem to know much or care much about the smaller fish. They passed one huge tank full of tropical species, and when Frank pointed to a particular fish and asked what it was, Kate said, Oh, those are the yellow ones. They passed the gift shop. Frank slowed down to check out a clearance table with clothes and toys. Take what you want, Kate told him. Frank blinked. Really? Of course, you're a VIP. Frank hesitated, and he stuffed some t-shirts in his backpack. Dude, Percy said. What are you doing? She said I could, Frank whispered. Besides, I need more clothes. I didn't pack for a long trip. He added a snow globe to his stash, which didn't seem like clothing to Percy. Then Frank picked up a braided cylinder about the size of a candy bar. He squinted at it. What is... Chinese handcuffs, Percy said. Frank, who was Chinese-Canadian, looked offended. How is this Chinese? I don't know, Percy said. That's what. That's just what it's called. It's like a gag gift. Come along, boys, Kate called from across the hall. I'll show you later, Percy promised. Frank stuffed the handcuffs in his backpack and they kept walking. They passed through an acrylic tunnel. Fish swam over their heads and Percy felt irrational panic building in his throat. This is dumb. I've been underwater a million times, and I'm not even in the water. The real threat was Kate. He reminded himself. Hedge had already detected that she wasn't human. Any minute, she might turn into some horrible creature 
and attack them. Unfortunately, Percy didn't see much choice but to play along with their VIP tour unless they, until they could find the sea god Forceus, even if they were walking deeper into a trap. They emerged in a viewing room awash with blue light. On the other side of a glass wall was the biggest aquarium tank Percy had ever seen. Cruising in circles were dozens of huge fish, including two spotted sharks, each twice Percy's size. They were fat and slow, with open mouths and no teeth. Whale sharks, Coach Hedge growled. Now we shall battle to the death. Kate giggled. <laughs> Silly satyr. Whale sharks are peaceful. They only eat plankton. Percy scowled. He wondered how Kate knew the coach was a satyr. Hedge was wearing pants and specifically specially fitted shoes over his hooves, like satyrs usually did to blend in with mortals. His baseball cap covered his horns. The more Kate giggled and acted friendly, the more Percy didn't like her. But Coach Hedge didn't seem phased. Peaceful sharks? The Coach Hedge would discuss. What's the point of that? Frank read the plaque next to the tank. The only whale sharks in captivity in the world. He mused. That's kind of amazing. Yes, and these are small, Kate said. You should see some of my other babies out in the wild. Your babies? Frank asked. Judging from the wicked glint in Kate's eyes, Percy was pretty sure he didn't want to meet Kate's babies. He decided it was time to get to the point. He didn't want to get any further farther into this aquarium than he had to. So, Kate, <laughs> he said. We're looking for a guy, I mean, a god, named uh, Forceus. Would you happen to know him? Kate snorted. (laughs) Know him? He's my brother! That's where we're going, sillies. The real exhibits are right through here. She gestured at the far wall. The solid black surface rippled and another tunnel appeared, leading through a luminous purple tank. Kate strolled inside. The last thing Percy wanted to do was follow, but if Forceus was really on the other side, and if he had information that would help their quest, Percy took a deep breath and followed his friends into the tunnel. As soon as they entered, Coach Hedge whispered, Now that's interesting. Gliding above them were multicolored jellyfish the size of trash cans, each with hundreds of tentacles that looked like silky, barbed wire. One jellyfish had a paralyzed, ten-foot-long swordfish tangled in its grasp, The jellyfish slowly wrapped its tendrils tighter and tighter around its prey. Kate beamed at Coach Hedge. You see? Forget the whale sharks, and there's much more. Kate led them into an even larger chamber, lined with more aquariums. On one wall, a glowing red sign proclaimed, Death in the Deep Seas, sponsored by Monster Donut. Percy had to read the sign twice because of his dyslexia, and then twice more to let the message sink in. Monster Donut? Oh, yes, Kate said. One of our corporate sponsors. Percy gulped. His last experience with Monster Donut had been pleasant. It had involved acid-spitting serpent heads, much screaming, and a cannon. In one aquarium, a dozen hippocampi horses with the tails of fish drifted aimlessly. Percy had seen many hippocampi in the wild. He'd even written a few, but he'd never seen any in in an aquarium. He tried to speak with them, but they just floated around, occasionally bonking against the glass. Their minds seemed addled. This isn't right, 
Percy muttered. He turned and saw something even worse. At the bottom of a smaller tank, two nereids? Female sea spirits sat cross-legged, facing each other, playing a game of go fish. They looked incredibly bored. Their long green hair floated listlessly around their their faces, and their eyes were half-closed. Percy felt so angry, he could hardly breathe. He glared at Kate. How can you keep them here? I know, Kate sighed. They aren't very interesting. We tried to teach them some tricks, but with no luck. I'm afraid... I think you'll like this tank over here much better. Percy started to protest, but Kate had already moved on. Holy mother of goats, cried Coach Edge. Look at these beauties. He was gawking at two sea serpents, 30-foot-long monsters with glowing blue scales and jaws that could have bitten a whale shark in half. In another tank, peeking out from its cement cave, was was a squid the size of an 18-wheeler, with a beak like a giant bolt cutter. A third tank held a dozen humanoid creatures with sleek seal bodies, dog-like faces, and human hands. They sat on the sand at the bottom of the tank, building things out of Legos, though the creatures seemed just as dazed as the nereids. Are those... Percy struggled to form the question. Telkines? Kate said. Yes, the only ones in captivity. But they fought for Kronos in the last war. Percy said, they're dangerous. Kate rolled her eyes. Well, we couldn't call it death in the deep seas if these exhibits weren't dangerous. Don't worry, we keep them well sedated. Sedated? Frank asked, is that legal? Kate appeared not to have heard. She kept walking, pointing out other exhibits. Percy looked back at the Telkines. One was obviously a young a youngster. He was trying to make a sword out of Legos, but he seemed too groggy to put the pieces together. Percy had never liked sea demons, but now he felt sorry for them. And these sea monsters, Kate narrated up ahead, can grow 500 feet long in the deep ocean. They have over a thousand teeth. And these? Their favorite food is demigod. Demigod? Frank yelped. But they will eat whales or small boats, too. Kate turned to Percy and blushed. Sorry, I'm such a monster nerd. I'm sure you won't know all this, being the son of Poseidon and all. Percy's ears were ringing like alarm bells. He didn't like how much Kate knew about him. He didn't like the way she casually tossed information about drugging captive creatures or or which of her babies liked to devour demigods. Who are you? He demanded. Does Kate stand for something? Kate? She looked momentarily confused. Then she glanced at her name tag. Oh, she laughed. No, it's... Hello, said a new voice, booming through the aquarium. A small man scuttled out of the darkness. He walked sideways on bowed le- bowed legs like a crab. His back hunched, his arms raised on either side like he was holding invisible plates. He wore a wetsuit that was several horrible shades of green. Glittery silver, silver words printed down the side read Porky's Follies. A headset microphone was clamped over his greasy, wiry hair. His eyes were milky blue, one higher than the other, and though he smiled, he didn't look friendly. More like his face was being peeled back in a wind tunnel. Visitors, the man said, the word thundering through the microphone. He had a DJ's voice, deep and resonant, which did not at all match his appearance. Welcome to Four Seas Follies.
He swept his arms in one direction as if directing their attention to an explosion. Nothing happened. Curse it, the man grumbled. Tell Kynes, that's your cue! I wave my hands and you leap energetically in your tank, do a synchronized double spin and land in pyramid formation. We practice this! The sea demons paid him no attention. Coach Hedge leaned toward the crab man and sniffed his glittery wetsuit. <laughs> nice outfit. He didn't sound like he was kidding. Of course, the satyr wore gym uniforms for fun. Thank you, the, mean beam, the man beamed. I am Forceus. Frank shifted his weight from foot to foot. Why does your suit say Porky? Forceus snarled. Stupid uniform company, they can't get anything right. Kate tapped her name tag. I told them my name was Keto. They misspelled it as Kate. My brother... Well, now he's Porky. I am not, the man snapped. I'm not even a little Porky. The name doesn't work with Follies either. What kind of show is called Porky's Follies? But you folks don't want to hear us complain. Behold, the wondrous majesty of the giant killer squid. He gestured dramatically toward the squid tank. This time, fireworks shot off in front of the glass right on cue. Setting up geysers of golden sparkles, music swelled from the loudspeakers, the lights brightened and revealed the wondrous majesty of an empty tank. The squid had apparently sculled back into its cave. Curse it! Forcece yelled again. He wheeled on his sister. Keto, training the squid was your job. I said... Maybe a bit of flesh rend, uh, uh, maybe a bit of flesh rend, rending, for the final. Is that too much to ask? He's shy, Keto said defensively. Besides, each of his tentacles has sixty-two razor-like barbs that have to be sharpened daily. She turned to work, Frank. Did you know the monstrous squid is the only beast known to eat demigods whole, armor and all, without getting indigestion? It's true. Frank stumbled away from her, hugging his gut as of making sure he was still in one piece. Keto! Porky snapped, literally, literally since he clicked his fingers to his thumbs like cl crab claws. You'll bore our guests with so much information. Less education, more entertainment. We've discussed this. But, no, but. We're here to present Death in the Deep Seas, sponsored by Monster Donut. The last words reverberated through the room with extra echo. Lights flashed, smoke clouds billowed from the floor, making donut-shaped rings that smell like real donuts. Available at the concession stand, Forcey's advised. But you've spent your hard-earned denarii to get the via VIP tour, and so you shall. Come with me. Um, hold it, Percy said. Forcey's smile melted in an ugly way. Yes. You're a sea god, aren't you? Percy asked. Son of Gaia? The crab man sighed. <sighs> Five thousand years, and I'm still known as Gaia's little boy. Never mind that I'm one of the oldest sea gods in existence, older than your upstart father. By the way, I'm god of the hidden depths, lord of watery terrors, father of a thousand mother monsters. But no. Nobody even knows me. I make one little mistake supporting the Titans in their war, and I am exiled from the ocean. To Atlanta, of all places. We thought the Olympians said Atlantis. 
Keto explained. Their idea of a joke, I guess, sending us here instead. Percy narrowed his eyes. And you're a goddess? Keto, yes! She smiled happily. Goddess of sea monsters, naturally. Whales, sharks, squids, and other giant sea life. But my heart always belonged to the monsters. Did you know that young sea serpents can regurgitate the flesh of their victims and keep themselves fed for up to six years on the same meal? It's true! Frank was still clutching his stomach like he was going to be sick. Coach Hedge whistled. Six years? That's fascinating. I know! Keto beamed. And how exactly does a killer squid rend the flesh from its victims? Hedge asked. I love nature. Oh, well... Stop! Forces demanded. You're ruining the show! Now, witness our Nereid gladiators fight to the death. A mirrored disco ball descended into the Nereid exhibit, making the water dance with multicolored light. Two swords fell to the bottom and plunked in the sand. The Nereids ignored them and kept playing goldfish. Curse it! Forces stomped his legs sideways. Kita grimaced at Coach Edge. Tell my porky... He's such a windbag. Come with me, my fine satyr. I'll show you full-color diagrams of the monster's hunting habits. <laughs> Excellent! Before Percy could object, Keto led Coach Hedge away through a maze of aquarium glass, leaving Frank and him alone with a crabby sea god. A bead of sweat traced its down, way down Percy's neck. He exchanged a nervous look with Frank. This felt like a divide-and-conquer strategy. He didn't see any way the, ca- the encounter was going to end well. Part of him wanted to attack Forceus now. At least that might give them the element of surprise. But they hadn't found out any useful information yet. Percy wasn't sure he could find Coach Hedge again. He wasn't even sure if he could find the exit. Forceus must have read his expression. Oh, it's fine, the god, the god assured him. Keto might be a little bit boring, but she'll take good care of your friend. And honestly, the best part of the tour is still yet to come. Percy tried to think, but he was starting to get a headache. He wasn't sure if it was from yesterday's head injury, Forcia's special effects, or his sister's lecture on nauseating sea monster facts. So, he managed. Dionysus sent us here. Bacchus, Frank corrected. Right. Percy tried to keep his annoyance in check. He could barely remember one name for each god, too, was uh, pushing it. The wine god, whatever. He looked at Forcia's. Bacchus said you might know what your mom Gaia is up to, and these twin giant brothers of yours, Ephialtes and Otis. And if you happen to know anything about this uh, Mark of Athena, Bacchus thought I would help you? Forceus asked. Well, yeah, Percy said. I mean, you're Forceus. Everybody talks about you. Forceus tilted his head so that his mismatched eyes almost lined up. They do? Of course, don't they, Frank? Oh, sure, Frank said. People talk about you all the time. What do they say? The god asked. Frank looked uncomfortable. Well, you have great pyrotechnics. And a good announcer's voice. And um, a disco ball. It's true. Forces clacked his fingers and thumbs excitedly. I also have the largest collection of captive sea monsters in the world. And you know stuff, Percy added. Like, about the twins and what they're up to. The twins! Forceus made his voice echo. Sparklers blazed to life in front of the sea serpent tank. 
Yes, I know all about Ephialtus and Otis. Those wannabes. They never fit in with the other giants. Too puny and those snakes for feet. Snakes for feet? Percy remembered the long, curly shoes the twins had been wearing in his dream. Yes, yes, Forceus said impatiently. They knew they couldn't get by on their strength, so they decided to go for drama. Illusion, stage tricks, that sort of thing. You see, Gaia shaped her giant children with specific enemies in mind. Each giant was born to kill a certain god. Ephialtus and Otis, well, together they were sort of the anti-Dionysus. Percy tried to wrap his mind around that idea. So... They want to replace all wine with cranberry juice or something? The sea got snorted. <laughs> Nothing like that. Ephialtus and Otis always wanted to do things better, flashier, more spectacular. Oh, of course. They wanted to kill Dionysus, but first they wanted to humiliate him by making his rev- rev- revelries look uh, tame. Frank glanced at the sparklers. By using stuff like fireworks and disco balls? Forceus's mouth stretched into the wind tunnel smile. Exactly! I taught the twins everything they know. Or at least I tried to. They never listened. Their first big trick? They tried to reach Olympus by piling mountains on top of one another. It was just an illusion, of course. I told them it was ridiculous. You should start small, I said. Sawing each other in half, pulling gorgons out of a hat, that sort of thing, and matching sequin outfits. Twins need those! Good advice, Percy agreed. And now the twins are... Oh, preparing for their doomsday show in Rome, Forcius sneered. It's one of Mother's silly ideas. They're keeping some prisoner in a large bronze jar. He turned to her, Frank. You're a child of Ares, aren't you? You've got that smell. The twins imprisoned your father the same way once. Child of Mars? Frank corrected. Wait, these giants trapped my dad in a bronze jar? Yes, another stupid stunt. Said the sea god, how can you show off your prisoner if he's in a bronze jar? No entertainment value, not like my lovely specimens. He gestured to the hippocampi who were bonking their heads apathetically against the glass. Percy tried to think. He felt like the lethargy of the adult sea creatures was starting to affect him. You said this. This doomsday show was Gaia's idea? Well, mother's plans always have lots of layers. He laughed. The earth has layers. I suppose that makes sense. Uh-huh, Percy said. And so her plan... Oh, she's put out a general bounty on some group of demigods, Forceus said. She doesn't really care who kills them, as long as they're, mm, well, killed. Well, I, I take that back. She was very specific that two must be spared, one boy and one girl. Tartarus knows why, at any rate. The twins will have their little show planned. Hoping it will lure these demigods to Rome. I suppose the prisoner in the jar is a friend of theirs or some such. That or the per- perhaps they think this group of demigods will be foolish enough to come into their th- territory searching for the mark of Athena. Forceus elbowed Frank in the ribs. <laughs> Good luck with that, eh? Frank laughed nervously. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really dumb because, uh... Forceus narrowed his eyes. Percy slipped his hand into his pocket. He closed his eye, fingers around Riptide, even though even this old sea god must be smart enough to realize they were the demigods with the bounty on their heads. But Forceus just grinned and elbowed Frank again. Ha! <laughs> Good one, child of Mars. I suppose you're right. No point talking about it. Even if the demigods found that map in Charleston, they'd never make it to Rome alive. Yes, th- the map in Charleston. 
Frank said loudly, giving Percy a wide-eyed look to make sure he hadn't missed the information. He couldn't have been more obvious as if he had held up a large sign that said that read, CLUE! We're not boring educational stuff, Forcius said. You've paid for the VIP treatment. Won't you please let me finish the tour? The three denarii entrance fee is non-refundable, you know. Percy wasn't excited about more fireworks, stone-scented smoke, or depressing cap- captive sea creatures. But he glanced at Frank and decided they'd better humor the crabby old god at least until they found Coach Hedge and got safely to the exit. Besides, they might be able to get more information out of Forcius. Afterward, Percy said, can we ask questions? Of course, I'll tell you everything you need to know. Forcius clapped his hands twice. On the wall under the glowing red sign, a new tunnel appeared, leading into another tank. Walk this way, Forcius scuttled sideways through the tunnel. Frank scratched his head. Do we have to? He turned sideways. It's just a figure of speech, man, Percy said. Come on. That was the end of chapter 15. That was certainly a very entertaining chapter, and I feel like, you know, Forcius, although it may be in the book, he's not able to get that entertainment value. He sure brought a lot of entertainment value for us readers. So I'm really, I was, that, that, that was a pretty humorous chapter, I might say. I have a bit more humor than compared to our previous chapters. And yeah, I feel like the very, this was a very strategic move pulled by Frank and Percy, where they were like asking, Forcius, um, information about Gaia, about other, uh, other topics, but in the way of kind of praising him, but in the same way, they're not directly asking him, hey, what's the answer to this question? So they kind of like nudged it inside that question. That question was nudged inside. And I think that really helped them be successful in getting the answers that they need. So after this non-existent break, we will read chapter uh, 16. So don't go anywhere and stay right where you are. And we're back from the ads. And now we're going to read chapter 16. Percy. The tunnel ran along the floor of a gymnasium-sized tank. Except for water and some cheap decorations, it seemed majestically empty. Percy guessed there were about 50,000 gallons of water over their heads. If the tunnel were to shatter for some reason, no big deal, Percy thought. I've been surrounded by water thousands of times. This is my home court. But his heart was pounding. He remembered sinking into the cold Alaskan bog black mud covering his eyes, mouth, and nose. Forcius stopped in the middle of the tunnel and spread his arms proudly. Beautiful exhibit, isn't it? Percy tried to distract himself by concentrating on details. In one corner of the tank, snuggled in a forest of fake kelp, was a life-size plastic gingerbread cottage with bubbles coming out of the chimney. In the opposite corner, a plastic sculpture of a guy in an old-fashioned diving suit knelt beside a treasure chest which popped open every few seconds, spewed bubbles, and closed again. Littered across the white sand floor were glass marbles the size of bowling balls, and a strange assortment of weapons like tridents and spear guns. Outside the tank's display wall was an amphitheater, with seating for several hundred. What do you keep in here? Frank asked. Giant killer goldfish? Forcius raised his eyebrows. Oh, that would be good, but no, Frank Zhang, descendant of Poseidon. This tank is not for goldfish. A descendant of Poseidon, Frank flinched. He stepped back, gripping his backpack like a mace he was preparing to swing. 
A sense of dread trickled down Percy's throat like cough syrup. Unfortunately, it was a feeling he was used to. How do you know Frank's last name? He demanded. How do you know he's descended from Poseidon? Well, Forceus shrugged, trying to look modest. It was probably in the descriptions Gaia provided. You know, for the bounty, Percy Jackson. Percy uncapped his pen. Instantly, Riptide appeared in his hand. Don't double-cross me, Forceus. You promised me answers. After the VIP treatment, yes, Forceus agreed. I promise to tell you everything you need to know. The thing is, however, you don't really need to know anything. His grotesque smile stretched wide. You see, even if you made to Rome, which is quite unlikely, you'd never defeat my giant brothers without a god fighting at your side. And what god would help you? So have a better uh, plan. You're not leaving. You're VIPs. Very important prisoners. Percy lunged. Frank hurled his backpack at the sea god's head. Forceus simply disappeared. The god's voice reverberated through the Aquarian sound system, echoing down the tunnel. Yes, good! Fighting is good! You see, Mother never trusted me with big assignments, but she did agree that it could keep anything I caught. You two will make an excellent exhibit. The only demigod spawn of Poseidon in captivity. Demigod terrors. Oh, yes, I like that. We already have sponsorship lined up with Bargain Mart. You can fight each other every day at 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. With an evening show at 7 p.m. You're crazy, Frank yelled. Don't sell yourself short, Percy said. You'll be our biggest draw. Frank ran for the exit, only to slam into a glass wall. Percy ran the other way and found it blocked as well. The tunnel had become a bubble. He put his hand against the glass and realized it was softening, melting like ice. Soon the water would come crashing in. We won't cooperate, Forceus, he shouted. Oh, I'm optimistic, the sea god's voice boomed. If you won't fight each other at first, no problem. I can send in fresh sea monsters every day. After you get used to the food here, you'll probably you'll be probably sedated and will follow directions. Believe me, you'll come to love your new home. Over Percy's head, the glass dome cracked and began to leak. I'm the son of Poseidon. Percy tried to keep the fear out of his voice. You can't imprison me in water. This is where I'm strongest. Forcey's laugh seemed to come from all around them. What a coincidence, it's also where I'm strongest. This tank is specifically designed to contain demigods. Now have fun, you two. I'll see you at feeding time. The glass dome shattered and water crashed in. Percy held his breath until he couldn't stand it. When he finally filled his lungs with water, it felt just like normal breathing. The water pressure didn't bother him. His clothes didn't even get wet. His underwater abilities were as good as ever. It's just a stupid phobia, he assured himself. I'm not going to drown. Then he remembered Frank, and he immediately felt a surge of panic and guilt. Percy had been so worried about himself that he forgot his friend was only a distant descendant of Poseidon. Frank couldn't breathe underwater. But where was he? Percy turned in a full circle. Nothing. Then he glanced up. Hovering above him was a giant goldfish. Frank had turned clothes, backpack, and all into a koi the size of a teenaged boy. Dude. Percy sent his thoughts through the water, the way he spoke with other sea creatures. A goldfish? Frank's voice came back to him. I freaked. We were talking about goldfish, so it was on my mind. Sue me. 
I'm having a telepathic conversation with a giant koi. Great, can you turn into something more useful? Silence. Maybe Frank was concentrating, though it was impossible to tell since koi don't have many expressions. Sorry, Frank sounded embarrassed. I'm stuck. That happens sometimes when I, when I panic. Fine. Percy gritted his teeth. Let's figure out how to escape. Frank swam around the tank and reported no exits. The top was covered with celestial bronze mesh, like the curtains that rolled down over closed storefronts at the mall. Percy tried to cut through the, with the riptide, but he couldn't make a dent. He tried to smash through the glass wall with his sword hilt. Again, no luck. Then he repeated his efforts with several of the weapons lying around the bottom of the tank and managed to break three tridents, a sword and a spear gun. Finally, he tried to control the water. He wanted it to expand and break the tank or explode out at the top, but the water didn't obey. Maybe it was enchanted or under the power of Forceus. Percy concentrated until his ears popped, but the best he could do was blow the lid off the plastic treasure chest. Well, that's it, he thought dejectedly. I'll have to live in a plastic gingerbread house the rest of my life, fighting my giant goldfish friend and waiting for feeding time. Forceus had promised they learned to love it. Percy had thought that about the days Telkines, the Nereids, and the Hippocampi, all swimming in bored, lazy circles. The thought of ending up like that didn't help to lower his anxiety level. He wondered if Forceus was right. Even if they managed to escape, how could they defeat the giants if the gods were all incap- incapacitated? Bacchus might be able to help. He had killed the twin giants once before, but he would only join the fight if he got an impossible tribute. And the idea of giving Bacchus any kind of tribute made Percy want to gag himself with a monster donut. Look, Frank said. Outside the glass, Kido was leading Coach Hedge through the amphitheater, lecturing him on something while the coach nodded and admired the stadium seating. Coach! Percy yelled. Then he realized it was hopeless. The the coach couldn't yell telepathic hearing. Frank bumped his head against the glass. Hedge didn't seem to notice. Kido walked him briskly across the amphitheater. She didn't even look through the glass, probably because she assumed the tank was still empty. She pointed to the far end of the room as if saying, Come on, more gruesome sea monsters this way. Percy realized he had only, only a few seconds before the coach was gone. He swam after them, but the water didn't help him move as it usually did. In fact, it seemed to be pushing him back. He dropped Riptide and used both arms. Coach Hedge and Kido were five feet from the exit. In desperation, Percy scooped up a giant marble and hurled it underhanded like a bowling ball. It hit the glass with a thunk, not nearly loud enough to attract attention. Percy's heart sank. But Coach Hedge had the ears of a satyr. He glanced over his shoulder when he saw Percy. His expression went through several changes in a matter of microseconds. Incomprehension. Surprise. Outrage. Then a mask of calm. Before Kido could notice, Hedge pointed toward the top of the amphitheater. It looked like he might be screaming, Gods of Olympus, what is that? Kido turned. Coach Hedge promptly took off his fake foot and Ninja kicked her in the back of the head with his goat hoof. Kido crumpled to the floor. Percy winced. His own recently whopped head throbbed in sympathy, but he had never been happier to have a chaperone who liked mixed martial arts cage matches. Hedge ran to the glass. He held up his palms like, What are you doing in there, Jackson? Percy pounded his fist on the glass and mouth, Break it! Hedge yelled a question that might have been, Where's Frank? Percy pointed at the giant koi. Frank waved his left dorsal fin. Sup? 
Behind Hedge, the sea goddess began to move. Percy pointed frantically. Hedge shook his leg like he was warming up his kicking hoof, but Percy waved his arms. No, they couldn't have keep. They can't. They couldn't keep whopping Keto on the head uh, forever. Since she was immortal, she wouldn't stay down, and it wouldn't get them out of this tank. It was only a matter of time before Forcius came back to check on them. On three, Percy mouthed, holding up three fingers and then gesturing at the glass. All of us hit at the same time. Percy had never been good at charades, but Hedge nodded like he understood. Hitting things was a language the satyr knew well. Percy hefted another giant marble. Frank, we'll need you too. Can you change form again? Maybe back to human? Human is fine. Just hold your breath. If this works... Keto rose to her knees. No time to waste. Percy counted on his fingers. One. Two. Three. Frank turned to a human and shoved his shoulder against the glass. The coach did a Chuck Norris roundhouse cook with, uh, kick with his hoof. Percy used all his strength to slam the marble into the wall, but he did more than that. He called on the water to obey him, and this time he refused to take no for an answer. He felt all the pent-up pressure inside the tank, and he put it to use. Water liked to be free. Given time, water could overcome any barrier, and it hated to be trapped, just like Percy. He thought about getting back to Annabeth. He thought about destroying this horrible, horrible prison for sea creatures. He thought about shoving Forcius's microphone down his ugly throat. 50,000 uh, gallons of water responded to his anger. The glass wall cracked. Fracture lines zigzagged from the point of impact, and suddenly the tank burst. Percy was sucked out in a torrent of water. He tumbled across the amphitheater floor with Frank, some large marbles, and a clump of plastic seaweed. Keto was just getting to her feet when the diver's statue slammed into her like it wanted a hug. Coach Head spit salt water. Pans pipes, Jackson, what were you doing in there? Forcius! Percy, Percy spluttered. Crap! Run! Alarms blared as they fled the exits. They ran past the Nariot's tank and the Telkines. Percy wanted to free them, but how? They were drugged and sluggish, and they were sea creatures. They wouldn't survive unless he found a way to transport them to the ocean. Besides, if Forces caught them, Percy would, was pretty sure the sea god's power would overcome his, and Keto would be after them too, ready to feed them to her sea monsters. I'll be back, Percy promised, but if the creatures in the exhibits could hear him, they gave no sign. Over the sound system, Forces's voice sound, Percy Jackson. Flash pots and sparklers exploded randomly. Donuts and its smoke filled the halls. Dramatics music, five or six different tracks, blared simultaneously from the speakers. Lights popped and caught fire as all the special effects in the building were triggered at once. Percy, Coach Hedge, and Frank stumbled out of the glass tunnel and found themselves back in the whale shark room. The mortal section of the aquarium was filled with screaming crowds. Families in day camps, groups running in every direction while the staff raced around frantically, trying to assure everyone it was just a faulty alarm system. Percy knew better. He and his friends joined the mortals and ran for the exit. And that's the end of chapter 16. Wow, those two chapters was probably the most action-packed chapters we probably have had in probably a few episodes, if I may, if I may, so, so, if I may say so myself. Um, you know, the amount of action that just happened within a matter of two chapters, within a matter of, a, like, maybe around 40 minutes, it's absolutely insane. I think this is probably one of my favorite chapters so far, and 
I think the fact that they were able to escape is great. And I have utmost faith. I feel like Percy, what what he's going to do is he's going to go, like, while he's traveling, you know, to to Rome and to stop Gaia, he's going to see more and more of these injustices like he saw the sea monsters trapped in those tanks. And once he defeats Gaia, once Gaia's done for and all of her army is done for, she, he's going to definitely come back and just release every single animal back into the wild even if they were for Kronos in the beginning war they still don't deserve to be treated that way because in the end all they were doing is just thinking about what was best for them and they decided to work for Kronos because he offered the best for them so in reality they were just thinking for themselves and uh in the end it's not too bad but you shouldn't stoop to you know such you should never stoop to such low measures that it harms other people just because it benefits yourself but still there's also there's always something called a second chance and i think these telkines deserve a second chance as well as the gods you know keto and porky they deserve a second chance as well so Next week, we'll continue reading chapter 17 to 18, this time from Annabeth's perspective. And we're going to see how exactly a different change in perspective is going to help us understand the story a bit more. So if you guys enjoyed this episode and this podcast as a whole, uh, please continue to stay tuned for the next episode. Um, and if you guys would like to show some extra support, there's a link to a Patreon in the bio of, of the in the, and slash description of my podcast. If you just follow that, it will just take you to my Patreon. And it's totally optional, but up to you guys. Um, thank you guys for listening to this. And until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.